0: Well, um, you might as well turn your Bibles to Galatians, chapter six. So I don't know if anything was said to you about uh, Aaron and Dama getting here, but it was a rush to get out of Kenya before they closed the borders, and uh, they're closed now. They closed right after they left, after they flew out, and now they're stuck with us at least until September, and uh, or until the borders open back up in Kenya. Let's uh, let's try to. Spoil them while they're here and, uh, and hopefully be ministered to a little bit as well. Amen. So, I, where are they? I saw Aaron. Well, we don't care where Aaron is, we care where those babies are. <laughs> <laughs> These kids are so cute, man. All right, well, I am a little nasal. I'm on the tail end of a cold. So, I, I see somebody nodding their head. They can hear me. So, sorry about that, but that's just the way life goes. So, well, uh, we have. Uh, We kind of made some major transition in the book of Galatians, and uh, the theme is still pushed through, but some of the things that we ought to be doing, knowing what we know from all that Paul has taught up to this point. And so this morning, as we get into chapter six, it's all about the ministry of restoration, uh, or we might even say fulfilling the law of Christ, fulfilling the law of Christ, um, which is, of course, love. Now, there are many ways uh, to fulfill the law of Christ, but in this particular context, Paul is calling upon, we might say, a certain population within the church to fulfill the law in a specific way. The context has to do with restoring a sinning believer or believers to a place of repentance after they have stumbled out of the way of grace and into the snare of legalism where what they are doing now is depending on their obedience to the law to make them holy. And so Paul is commissioning some within the church of Galatia to continue this ministry, which he actually has been doing since chapter one of the letter. And of course, we understand that this instruction is also for us today. And I would say that the task before us uh, is even more urgent as there's not Like in the the early church in the first century, there was just a couple of things that were troubling the church. Uh, And then it was the tail end of the first century that there was another thing called Gnosticism. And then when we get into beyond that, and over the last 2,000 years, there's just no end to the list of things that trouble believers. And uh, the various tactics that the enemy has used to draw people away from Christ and into some other method of Becoming holy. And so, so let's get into this. We're going to be discussing this theme for a couple weeks, uh, but we're going to uh, launch here, of course, out of Galatians chapter 6. So if you're able, please stand. And I'll be reading the Word of God to you, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And I, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. And Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I, I thank you that we are, we've come to this place in the book where we're not talking about warnings and threats and all of that, but we're rather getting the practical pieces of it and, and instruction. And Lord, as you know, as you've done yourself, um, this ministry of restoration or reconciliation is a big part of our faith, and, and we need to know how to do it and how to do it biblically so we don't screw things up. We wanna honor you with abiding by your method. And Lord, we wanna reach out to others who have been duped by the enemy, or that we might see people come back into the fold and be restored. So Lord, teach us and grant us the ability to be skillful when we try to call others back. So grant us grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I think that, uh, well, I I don't wanna assume too much uh, all of you have come from various church traditions with um, different ideas about how to approach things. Um, I got into a conversation with a man uh, about a week ago, and, and i 've had this conversation with many other people that assume that uh, you have to have church membership uh, to make um, church what we call church discipline uh, uh, to make it effective and I always go, "How so and uh, I say, how could how can we go wrong if we follow the text of Scripture? And uh, and, and of course that oh well, yeah I guess so. And I said, so if I follow the Scriptures, I should be okay. But could you point me to a passage that says that membership has anything to do with the church, other than membership in the body of Christ? And and um, so if if you have assumed in your past that me- membership is important, uh, and and I mean you know membership church traditional type that it's necessary to actually do the ministry that the scriptures call us to. Um, well, it hasn't been needed here, and we've been doing it uh, for at least the 15 years that I've been here. And as far as I can tell, it's, it's worked effectively simply because we've done our best to adhere to the scriptures. Amen? So um, I don't think membership in any traditional sense is important. If you are a member of the body of Christ through regeneration, Um, we are going to follow the text of Scripture whenever you are led astray uh, into any kind of theological garbage. Amen? Amen. And because we love you and we want you to be restored. So return with me, if you would, to verse 1. Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted." Now the instructions here seem a bit random unless we keep it in context with the rest of the letter. Okay? As we know, Paul wrote this letter to recover uh, those believers in the Galatian church who had stumbled into this legalism after they were duped by these men called the Judaizers. And these were Jewish false teachers who had essentially contaminated the gospel of grace by infusing into it the law of Moses. And as we've gone through the book of Galatians, uh, they were doing it with baby steps. You know, they didn't just drop all of it on the Galatians. They had introduced them to, as Paul says, days and weeks and months and years. And uh, and then, of course, then it would become the festivals, dietary regulations. And, And as they introduced them to all these things slowly, then, of course, they would drop on them circumcision, uh, which would then make them a full uh, constituent of the Old Covenant and obligated to keep all of its terms. Okay, so it was happening slowly. They were trying to get them to convert to Judaism while maintaining their belief in Jesus. Uh, and that had, has been happening for centuries. Okay, the, um, after all of this took place, and the church was, I believe, effectively addressing legalism uh, up to the turn of the century, a sect had formed called the uh, the Ebionites. And uh, they were uh, essentially the leftover Judaizers who had created a sect to where they could do all of this. And and it it seems like they finally gave up on uh, what at that time would have been uh, mainstream, mainstream Christianity or whatever. And then the Ebionites faded out Uh, But I think the Ebionites are back uh, in many different forms. They've been resurrected. Just as many of the the other 1st century, 2nd century doctrines doctrines have resurfaced. uh, Many of them in the uh, the 1800s. And now they're in full swing in American culture. So anyway, I don't know where I was going with all that. uh, For your information. So uh, participating really in any form or degree of uh, legalism is really the trespass that Paul is addressing here, um, and it's the trespass that he wants to uh, rescue believers from. He wants, them, wants us to rescue them from. And you know, the real problem, I think, with legalism, other than the, it just being completely false, is what it does is it removes a believer's dependence upon the Holy Spirit and walking in grace and gets them to a place where they start depending on their own strength. And if you're walking in your own strength, Paul has a phrase for that. It's called walking in the flesh. And Paul said that the works of the flesh are these. And so ultimately, it will always lead to that. It will be troubling to the believer because Paul says that with the law comes all manner of evil desire. Okay? It provokes the sin nature. Rules do. Keeping the law does. And um, the Holy Spirit is just never going to bless your efforts uh, to keeping the law. He just won't. And if he's not the one propelling you in that, it's just you. It's just you. And you will fabricate a a false form of religion that does not honor God or his word. (laughs) So the immediate context, it's about legalism. It's about walking in the flesh. That's the trespass. So let's look a little closer. As always, when we look at the scriptures and any kind of communication, terms are important. And, and the first term that concerns us in the passage is the word overtaken, overtaken. Here, Paul is talking about being caught off guard uh, or surprised, it's, it's somewhat of an ambush, okay? An ambush. But what is, what is the surprise? Well, in the text here, it's the, the trespass itself. The word trespass here is a misstep, it's a blunder. So Paul's statement implies that a brother or sister was walking a godly path but stumbled along the way, uh, they they wandered off the path of grace unintentionally. How many guys can relate to that? I think we all can. Um, It's interesting, I know a number of people's stories that early on in their walk, uh, some of you ended up in a cult that was a counterfeit form of Christianity, and, uh, and none of you ended up there on purpose, right? You just found yourself there, and then suddenly someone came alongside you, uh, or you were reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit woke you up to it, and you discovered that you were just in this and all of its trappings. We can relate to this. Our good intentions do not always secure the good results we intend. Uh, Paul knew this very well uh, himself when he lamented his own failures early on in the faith. Here's a paraphrase from Romans 7. Verse 15 and 19, he said, I don't understand what I'm doing. I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried. That's his intention. It's a good intention. But every time I try, I end up doing what I hate. I don't do the right thing that I want to do. I do the evil thing that I'm trying to avoid. His good intentions didn't secure the good results that he wanted. He was wanting to please God, but he got mixed up for a time. As Romans chapter 7 indicates, a time of self-effort. Uh, The chapter is filled with the personal pronoun, I, me, my. That's what I was trying to do in my flesh. It was self effort and legalism and it ended up for Paul in disaster. And that's why Paul said to the Galatians at the beginning in Galatians 2.19, he said, I just came to a place where I understood I had to die to the law. My relationship to it had to end. And so here in the the, the churches of Galatia, many were going through a, a similar experience that Paul had and it was destroying them. And as the content of the letter reveals, the Galatians, they had intended to please the Lord. They had been formerly, at least, walking in the spirit, but like some of us, they had a misstep. They stumbled off the path into legalism, but for them, it was all because of the cunning of the Judaizers. They had come with a well-fashioned argument, good reasons to be dabbling in the law. After all, it was the word of God, I don't know how many good arguments I've heard for legalism, but these Galatians hadn't intended to sin. They were just ambushed theologically. They were led astray into a a works-based kind of righteousness. And I think that when Paul finally spoke to them, they were thinking to themselves, how did I end up here? How did I get to this place? But there they were. Now, I think finding yourself in a place where you didn't intend to be theologically is is easier and more common than people think. I think it's very common. Let me give you something. I was reading a statistic the other day that says, for the first time in American history, at least since the start of you know, keeping track of these things, the percentage of people who even affiliate with the church has dropped below 50%, which means that the number of believers in America is far less than that. Okay. Now, it was never the intention of the church to end up here. But here we are, it's true. And social media and YouTube have introduced more false teaching and false teachers to unsuspecting and ignorant people than at any other time in history. And I'd say that right now, the task of restraining evil these days is beyond the ability of any human entity, okay? And people are being led astray in masse, even among those who profess Christ. How many of you guys have ever intended to be led astray? (laughs) Sign me up, yeah. At no other time has the cult of politics been such a draw for the Church. For many, it's not simply a method to secure a social or moral end for the benefit of society, which is a good thing. But for some, politics are an end in itself in which they devote themselves religiously. But for the Christian, there's a great danger in this, because when those on the other side of the aisle are considered the enemy rather than our mission field, it ceases to be Christian. And it's nothing but a cult. It's become a counterfeit form of Christianity, a substitute. And as we've been talking about since the first century, believers have gotten tangled up in one form of legalism or another, which has always hurt the church and the individual. And none of these people went out and got hurt intentionally. And legalism is all around us today in various forms. Sadly, people are overtaken. They're ambushed by legalism. So the question is, what is the church to do with such people? What are we to do with them? How do we handle these wayward sinners who have been duped by some slick, persuasive teacher, religious leader, or politician? Let me put it to you another way. What should be done with these people who have made mistakes common to our own? <laughs> yeah. Well, seeing that the law of Christ is the law of love, and because Jesus taught us to do unto others what we would have them do to us, we need to do all that we can to restore them. Okay we should be laying our life down for the brethren, understanding that the soul of man is at stake. These people are not to be left to themselves, and attempts must be made to recover them. So in keeping with the law of Christ, Paul prescribed a few things to ensure that Christ's law is fulfilled. And so in our passage here, Paul prescribes, or appoints rather, a particular kind of person that should be approaching the sinner he prescribes what their task is. He prescribes the manner in which they should fulfill their task, what they should be personally watching out for. And there's this, there's this unstated but obvious means by which these people ought to be restored, which is the truth of the gospel. So let's, let's first talk about uh, the prescribed person. In the verse there, Paul is <clears throat> addressing the spiritually mature believer. In the Galatian fellowship, he says, those of you who are spiritual, he's placing upon them the responsibility of at least attempting, at least attempting to recover those in the fellowship who'd wandered off the path of grace and down this road of legalism. Paul was commissioning them to essentially do what Christ does. I think we find it illustrated very well in the story of the lost sheep where the shepherd leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one that was lost. And then when he finds him, finds them, says that he carries them on his shoulder. I think there's an implication there, uh, the damage that legalism does to the believer. Uh, It wipes them out. It wounds them in their soul. And it's not enough to just lead them back. Uh, They require some care. And so the Lord, we see, he carries them. So Paul imposes the responsibility on the spiritually mature believer. Uh, This is no task for the new convert, especially when the matter uh, oftentimes is so theologically complex. If you've ever dealt with somebody that is convinced that they need to keep kosher, or if they need to keep other laws in the Old Covenant, they usually are ready with boxing gloves on. How many of you noticed that? Yeah, yeah. They fashion their arguments because those that have led them into this have equipped them with those arguments. And um, so it can be complex. But the new convert lacks the experience. They lack the knowledge of the word to address certain doctrinal issues. So we don't want to send that person into the situation. But neither is Paul necessarily referring to pastors and elders. The, The leadership should certainly be qualified for the task, but they're not the only mature believer in the church, at least they shouldn't be, amen? Now it's my position, it's my um, conviction that every man in the church should either be striving for the qualifications of an elder or be qualified to be an elder. It doesn't mean that you are called to be one, but every man in the church should be at least striving for that, okay? Striving for it. If Paul had intended for the task to be left up to pastors and elders, I think he was capable of just saying it could have just told us but see the pastors and elders can't have their eye on everything okay we're all the hands and feet and we need to all be looking out for our brothers yeah I think it has to be said because a lot of people I think and um, have assumed I think and not just in western Christianity I uh, experienced this when I was in Africa with Aaron as well as too much responsibility is placed upon the pastors and elders to handle all affairs concerning the church but We're the body of Christ and we're to be looking out for one another. Laity should be on top of this as well. They should be trained to do it. And so if you're mature enough to identify the transgression and you know what the biblical remedy is, you may be the one God has called to address it. If God brought it to your attention. It's probably your responsibility. If you're certain that it's above your pay grade, as it were, then you should quickly, you should quickly and quietly find someone who is qualified to address it. If you don't feel qualified, find someone who is. Along with the person appointed for the task, um, Paul prescribes the task itself. He says, uh, I want you to restore such a one. Now, historically, I don't think the church has always been completely friendly uh, to people that stumble into sin. Amen? And instead of being uh, welcomed back in, uh, they've just been pushed further away and further into whatever they're struggling with. And uh, Paul says the, the goal, the objective is to restore. In Matthew chapter 18, which we'll be getting into in the next couple of weeks, uh, Jesus, in a similar kind of uh, protocol, if you were, uh, as it were, he, he says that if, if you go to your brother who has sinned and he listens to you, he says, you have won your brother. And that's the goal. In 1 Corinthians 7, when a non-believer is married to a believer, uh, same scenario in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says that the goal of the believing spouse is to win. It's to win. So winning is always the goal. Paul says to the Corinthians, it has been granted to us the ministry of reconciliation, as if God were pleading through us to bring people to him. So restoration is always the goal restore. It means to repair, make right. When Jesus was um, uh, traveling around Galilee, he was appointing men to be his disciples, eventually his apostles. And it says he found some of the men mending their nets, repairing. The the word there is the same word. It means to restore. It means to uh, restore to its original form. Uh, To repair in health, it's also a medical term. means to set bones. So that the idea there is, I think, for us, I think the medical term is a good one. When somebody has strayed into legalism or some doctrinal error, uh, it breaks the soul. And uh, we want to go and we want to reset it. We want to help them get back, make things right, proper understanding and a practice of the faith. Kenneth Wiest, You know, I drop these names hoping that one day you'll write them down and and you'll go pick up their material and read it. Kenneth Wiest, he writes word studies in the New Testament Greek. Um, He says, those Galatians who had not abandoned their dependence upon the Holy Spirit now are asked by Paul to set those Galatians right who had been seized unawares by sin because they had deprived themselves of the ministry of the Spirit. The primary thing that they needed to be set right about was not the act of sin which they committed, but that they had wandered off the right road of grace and were stumbling into the quagmire of self-dependence and legalism. Wiest is a good resource, by the way. It's a fun read if you're interested in Greek studies. Uh, He exegetes the Greek, and then he translates it into English, and uh, he's very easy to read. Uh, There's other guys that I quote, like A.T. Robertson, who are very unfriendly to read, Um, but I like him anyway. So the Judaizers had, you know, so duped, so snowed some of these Galatian believers that as the text says, they exchanged unaware their dependence on the Holy Spirit for uh, self-dependence. They had inadvertently resorted to their own strength to be holy by keeping the law, keeping the law to be holy. A thing that Paul says is impossible, foolish, and dangerous so Paul says they need to be brought back. They need to be straightened out. The problem is, is that people don't always like to be straightened out. That's going to be what we talk about in the next couple of weeks. But the spiritual person must have it as their aim to restore the wayward person. Not just confront them and rebuke them, but help them back. But in what manner? Paul says in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness, meekness, or humility, depending on which translation you have, I think all those renderings are legitimate. But I'm not really sure what your definition of gentleness or humility is. I think what we need to do is uh, keep in mind the manner in which uh, Paul addressed the Galatians, because he is telling us to do what he was doing. So he has he's provided us with an example so that we can get it right. Now, as Paul did it, he didn't shy away from confronting their sin. Galatians chapter six, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter one, verse six. He told them exactly what they had done. They had abandoned God for a perverted gospel, okay? He even addressed their foolishness. Galatians chapter three, verse one. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Now, you may not think that that's gentle or... Meek or humble, but apparently Paul did, and uh, I would prefer that the Holy Spirit through Paul define the ministry of restoration. Amen. People need to know their fault. He didn't shy away from warning them of the dangers. Galatians 3:10 says that law is a curse. Also, Galatians chapter 5 verse 4, and then also through all that he prescribes the remedy. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 through 26. So, in Paul's example he was straightforward. He got right to the point, didn't he? Right to it. He didn't shy away. Another example that comes to mind, uh, as we have already talked about a few times, is Paul confronting Peter in his hypocrisy, Galatians chapter 2. Paul was direct. uh, Paul was firm. And as you notice there, Paul confronted him in front of everyone that is not normal protocol, but we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks also. That is the protocol for leadership. So if you want in leadership, um, count the cost. You don't get addressed in private, you get addressed in public. So watch yourself. That's what the example there is all about. Um, <clears throat> also, Jesus' behavior when he cleansed the temple, uh, that could challenge our definition of humility or meekness. But Jesus didn't cease to be humble when he did it. Amen? He was humble in the midst of it. His meekness wasn't suspended in order to do it. So by gentle, by humble, we certainly, we shouldn't yell and scream and throw a tantrum when we see others that have been overtaken in legalism, but neither should we remain quiet and shy away from it. Love, as I think I understand it, is confident and firm it's not arrogant and explosive. Love addresses all the issues as they really are. Love is vocal about the real dangers of sin. And love defines very clearly what needs to be done for repentance and restoration, right? In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul was praying for them and he prayed that their love would be filled with all knowledge and discernment, that love must be wise in the way that it applies itself. So the spiritually mature, to conduct themselves with a gentle disposition toward the sinner. But let's just be careful about how we define those terms lest we approach the sinner in an unbiblical way. So far, Paul has prescribed who it is that should address the sinner, Uh, what their objective is to be for the sinner, restoration, what manner they should approach the sinner, and now he prescribes vigilance for the mature believer. Vigilance. Paul says that the spiritually mature They should consider themselves, lest they also be tempted. Lest they also be tempted. That is, with their encounter or during their encounter with the sinner. They need to be careful lest they're tempted. How many of you guys have confronted a child who is a little sinner, and in your frustration, you sinned against them in the process? You sinners. We are so easily tempted to sin and we can quickly justify our sinfulness, right? We need to beware. We need to, as Paul says, consider oneself. It means to be watchful, to keep an eye out. So here, Paul is instructing the mature person to be vigilant during their encounter with these people, lest they also be tempted to be led astray, potentially in the same error or potentially in arrogance against them or not really in the spirit of the law of Christ, Now, in the context here, I think being drawn into legalism would be the temptation. Now, that piece of instruction should concern us deeply, deeply. Because Paul is saying that the spiritually mature are in danger of being tempted by legalism. The mature ones, remember, he's calling on the mature, not the immature, not the fledgling, not the uninformed. This is the informed believer who's walking by the Spirit. And he says, you... You need to be careful when you approach these people. We know this, that it's dangerous because Paul got tangled up in it at one time. Peter got tangled up in it, and we can fall into it too. Part of the temptation, as I've experienced, as I've said earlier, is how well people are prepared to defend their bondage. It's a mystery to me that people that are in bondage to the law, they're in slavery, they're yoked into it, as Peter would say, that they're willing to defend themselves. Apparently, they are blind to it. There's something about it that is enticing to the flesh. I think perhaps when we accomplish something in our flesh, makes us feel good about ourselves. When we've managed to check the list off, we feel like we've accomplished something for God. The Reality is though is we haven't drawn any closer to God. We've just done things that we think God requires of us. Also, when you reach out to these people, they're always very genuine about what they believe and what they're now doing and experiencing. Uh, Gabe Anzolini has given me permission always to talk about his experience in, in legalism. And one of the things that I appreciated most about Gabe's testimony is that as they were moving into a form of Judaism uh, with Jesus as sort of a, 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 a topping, but which he essentially though becomes just a conversation piece is that he wanted to obey God's word, all of God's word. And in his ignorance, he wasn't able to make a distinction between the two covenants. And so he brought them together, and he genuinely wanted to obey everything. But the new covenant, as we know from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, the old covenant has been set aside for a new one. It's a new covenant. And we're not obligated, we're not constituents even of the old covenant. So people oftentimes are very genuine in their bondage, the genuine. And something else that they're always eager to do is they're eager to evangelize you, and they're good evangelists. And that's why Paul says to be vigilant, careful that you do not fall into the same trap that you went to pull them out of. Be careful. Another reason why we should never send a new convert to do the work of the mature. We would be throwing them into harm's way. And finally, by restoration, we mean that people should be restored to the truth of the gospel, by the gospel. They should be restored to the gospel by the gospel itself. Okay, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's also the power of God unto freedom and to liberty, as Paul has been teaching us so far. Okay. Now don't forget uh, how Paul began his letter to the Galatians. He said to them, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. Paul says, this blows me away, that people would be drawn so quickly away from liberty into slavery. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ, Galatians 1, 6 through 7. Through the ministry of Paul, first and second missionary journey, God called these people into grace, into his favor, to the gospel of grace, but they were led astray to a different gospel, Paul says it's not really a different gospel. He says it's a perversion of it. You know, the gospel of course means good news, and if the weight of righteousness is placed upon you, that's not good news. That's a trap, okay? That's a trap. And instead of getting closer to God as people in legalism feel because they're getting stuff done, they're just getting further from Him. So because it was the gospel they were led away from, It's the gospel that they need restored to, and we have to use the gospel itself to restore them. And if we're going to restore them to the gospel, the truth is we need to understand the gospel well. We must be able to articulate it well. That's why Paul says it must be the spiritually mature to address these people. If we don't know the gospel well, we're in danger of misspeaking. If we don't know the gospel well, we're in danger of being led astray. We won't be able to articulate it well enough ourselves and for the person that is trapped in legalism yeah so Paul is calling for wisdom in the ministry of reconciliation so it's imperative that we at least make an attempt at least make an attempt to restore those who have been overtaken by it but as Paul says it must be done by the spiritually mature in a matter that is gentle and humble and lastly those who engage in this ministry must be vigilant to ensure they do not stumble into the same trap, because it is a trap. So Paul says in verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love, or not the love, well, it would be the love of Christ, the law of Christ, which we know is love. So here, uh, the imperative, Paul is calling upon the mature believer, he's putting upon them the responsibility for those people, to go to those people and to sympathize with them because it's a burden. It's a burden. You remember in Acts chapter 15, um, Peter called it a yoke to put the law on the Gentiles. It was a yoke. In in, uh, Galatians 5.1, Paul called the law a yoke of bondage. It's a burden. It's hard. It's hard. We're responsible for them, but we also must sympathize with them. We have to come alongside them. We have to lift the burden and lead them to repentance. Help them to trust in the Spirit again for holiness. And the sooner we do it, the better, because the longer it takes, the more difficult the task. The more difficult the task. We saw how quick the response was to this in Acts 15. Uh, Before legalism could take hold in the church of Antioch, Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to present all of this to the apostles who settled the issue forever, at least biblically saying that circumcision and the law of Moses did not pertain to the Gentile church. And then it was eventually made clear that all things pertaining to the law were set aside by Christ when he established the new covenant, Hebrews chapter eight. And then again in Galatians two, Paul acted quickly and surgically when Peter was compelling Gentiles to live like Jews. As soon as it came to Paul's attention, he didn't wait. There was too much at stake. So he went straight to Peter, while he was seated with all of the, the people around a meal, a very Jewish kosher meal, Jews and Gentiles together, the Gentiles thinking that because the great apostle Peter was eating kosher, we must too. And Paul came in and he just rained on the whole parade. Okay? It was quick. It was fast. He called Peter out. Hypocrisy. You cannot impose the law he was saying and be straightforward about the gospel. The two are just... Mutually exclusive grace and works. Okay. To take up the law as a means for holiness is just a rejection of grace. So we need to move quickly. We need to move wisely and humbly as we try to remove the burden from our brothers and sisters. Yeah, by so doing, Paul says, You'll fulfill the law of Christ. You'll be placing the needs of others before yourself. Amen? You'll be laying your life down for them. Let's conclude here with verse three. (laughs) Paul Paul always has a way of communicating. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The the idea here in the context that if anyone thinks they're above helping others, if you think you're too good to go to someone who is, you know, bearing this load, he says, you've deceived yourself. The reality is you're nothing. You're nobody. You're a servant. Okay? You're a servant. You're not to think more highly of yourself than you ought but Paul says you ought to think of others as being more important than yourself. We love that as Westerners. Uh, this is the person in the church who fancies themselves to be a mature believer when they're really just a thumbsucker. Okay? <laughs> they think there's something, but they're really nothing. All of us are called in some fashion to look out for our brother or sister's well-being. As I said, if you don't feel qualified to go to someone, You are qualified to find someone that's qualified, amen? Do what you can to retrieve these people. Do what you can. The love of Christ compels us to recover brothers and sisters that are in trouble. Okay, so next week, we'll talk about the the biblical protocol, what it is when someone refuses to be restored to repentance. And we'll talk about it among the laity, okay, that's the, the regular church attendant, We'll talk about the leadership. We address that briefly. We'll talk about a divisive person. And then we'll talk about what we do with the heretic or the false teacher. Now, the reason that this is necessary uh, to equip the whole body with is because, as I said, you're the hands and the feet, you're the eyes. Uh, these things will come to your attention probably well before they come to the leadership's attention. And uh, so you have to be the first to act and you need to act biblically uh, and godly. Amen? So let's talk about it. <clears throat> um, I don't want people to think that this, you know, there's a, I think there's a negative kind of uh, attitude that comes with what we've called church discipline. Maybe we should call it something else, church restoration, uh, church reconciliation, something, uh, because that, as we've said, always is the goal. And But most people think that whenever church restoration is employed, that it always ends in disaster. It's not true. The truth is, this sort of thing that we're going to be talking about is happening all the time in the body of Christ, and most of the time it's successful. Okay? The reason you think that it always, that whenever it's employed, it ends badly is because that's when it becomes public. That's a good thing. Okay? If it doesn't become public until the last stage of things, that means it was done correctly all right? It is our job to conceal the matter until the sinner will not allow us to conceal it any longer, okay? So we'll talk about all of that, and um, hopefully it won't be a negative thing to you, all right? So I think my elders do it to me all the time, (laughs) and here I am. I'm still here, so all right. Why don't you stand up, and we'll pray. I think I'm letting you out just a couple minutes early, so Uh, If you linger here, that would be fine. If you go outside, just um, fellowship quietly until the time is up. Let's pray. Well, Father, none of us um, in reality are are too good for the ministry of restoration. We're all a part of this family. And you've called us to run together to do this thing as the body of Christ. And... Lord, we, we do. We want to fulfill the law of Christ. Sin is a part of our world. It's a part of our experience. It's, it's going to happen. And we need good brothers and sisters to come alongside of us to help wake us up and to help us get back on track, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to confront us. And sometimes we just need the encouragement, the, the biblical precedence to do it. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go through all of this, that we would be compelled deep within ourselves to be on the lookout for our brothers and have the courage to come alongside and to help lift the burden. Lord, I thank you for my church family. I'm so grateful that this has been happening uh, for so long and done so well. And I pray that we could sharpen our skills, that we would become even more wise, we would become even more sympathetic toward sinners like us and that together we could be more successful, that the law of Christ would be more evident here. So grant us grace to do that, we pray, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.